You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's going on, people? Welcome to the House and Browse Show. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Canis Hoopus and the good folks over at SB Nation. Today, we are back with the long-form pod. We are two games into the season and a million storylines already into the season. So, to discuss all of the things going on in the small sample size world of the Timberwolves, I am here with Jack Borman. Site manager over at Canis Hoopus, obviously a friend of the show. Jack, how's it going, man? I'm good, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. I mean, it's. I, I said yesterday after the post game pod that it's a weird feeling to lose and to have one of those gut punch losses because you forget about those during the off season when everything's rosy and you're wondering how many wins the Timberwolves are going to get, but. You get that one nice loss that hurts and you start to remember the, the feeling of being a Timberwolves fan. So how did you see that game yesterday? I, I know Kyle messaged me at some point and said me and you were both being uh, Debbie Downers about the game in the fourth quarter. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think we both told him at around the halfway point that the Wolves are definitely going to lose this. And he said, I'm sick of talking to both of you guys. <laughs> I uh, I was sitting next to Kyle uh, on Media Row Um in target center Kyle was in town um and uh he just kept saying like man I just feel like Ant's gonna get this one of the finish line and I just it just had a feeling of they're kind of messing around way too much and I, I thought the writing was on the wall like Utah made it very clear they're just gonna keep shooting threes and I think with every yeah. single three they made I think I probably said something like they're gonna lose I tried to reverse jinx it way too hard um <laughs> Almost worked. It almost worked, but uh, yeah, it uh, not not a fun one last night, but but definitely an understandable one. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the overarching point, isn't it? That this team does need some time, and this was always going to come. I would have been shocked if they went seven and zero or eight and zero or whatever it is in this strange little run that they have um, to start the season. And Utah were plucky, and as you said, they just kept shooting. I think that Jordan Clarkson's not a good matchup for any of Minnesota's perimeter defenders. I think that Malik Beasley's not really either. Mike Conley's not, um, and those guys were the ones who ended up kind of sealing the deal, and then you throw in the two big guys who can shoot as well. So it was kind of just like a perfect concoction of um, disaster for the Wolves, especially the way they're uh, kind of... At the way they are at the moment with their, with them still trying to experiment with things and trying to figure this out on the fly. So um, there is talking points, though. I mean, let's start with something good because I think both of us are probably... There's probably more negatives than positives at the moment as they try and um, work this thing out on the fly. Uh, let's start with your man, Jalen Noel. Uh, 
I could just imagine your face last night in the third quarter when Jalen Noel was just had the team on his back, carrying them to to almost victory. Um, was that how it felt for you? Yeah, dude, it was really fun. Uh, honestly, like I kept looking at over at Kyle uh, earlier in the quarter, just kind of saying nobody else but Ann has scored in this quarter. And Kyle just looked over at me and he said, just wait till Jalen Noel gets in the game. And uh, boy, was was Kyle right. Um, yeah, dude, I, I think, I mean, he just has so much confidence um, as a jump shooter. And, and, I, and I think, too, that he just really doesn't think that anybody in front of him can stop him. He, he attacks his matchups in an efficient way. And he doesn't always try to you know, put the ball in the deck and get to the hole. He doesn't always look for the mid-range. He doesn't always, you know, camp out behind the three-point line and, and look to take, you know, the first open three that he can take. He, he does a really good job of of keeping the defense off balance because he constantly is reading what's being given to him and taking advantage of that. And um, that, that's exactly what he did last night. It just took one huge three, um, you know, much like he did in the, in the game against uh, – Oklahoma City on Wednesday night, you know, he, um, you know, he had a major three in that third quarter that kind of, you know, spawned some of that, some of that pace and some of the, the stops they were able to get defensively and just put, put some life back in the arena and, and, and did the same thing, um, did the same thing uh, last night. And, you know, good on Jalen Noel, too, because, you know, he, he he's not tried to do anything outside of himself. He knows exactly what his role is. And, uh, and he's just playing within himself. And I think when you get players that, that play within themselves and are stars in what they are asked to do, um, it's just hard not to root for those guys and, and hard not to, um, you know, hard not to expect that they're going to do well because, you know, Noel's, Noel's one of those guys. And, uh, so, so yeah, it's of fun to be in the arena, uh, for that, um, just to, just to see him get going, I think. Ant scored the first 11 of the quarter, and then Noel scored the uh, Noel scored the next 10, and then they were the only two to score before J Mac hit that crazy buster beater at the end of the third quarter. Um, and so, um, yeah, man, just just a ton of fun to watch how dynamic those two are and, and how they play off each other. And I hope that we get more of the the Ant Noel backcourt uh, moving forward here. Yeah, I, I really like that backcourt. I mean, there's obviously issues defensively, especially if Ant isn't playing well defensively, which I thought he didn't last night. I thought he re- he really got burnt on a lot of screens and did struggle to, to chase around those smaller guys who I mentioned before. But, I mean, Noel, I think the points that you made there were so good because he everything he does is really precise and really patient. And I think at times this team has lacked that in the, in these first two games. Everything seems to be rushed and they, they want to get it to Rudy or they want to use Rudy as a screener and they want to do all these things that they know can be massive weapons for them at some point this season, but they, they're rushing to the finish line and ignoring the process in between. And I think that Noel has been probably the only guy who has really thrived in the process of, of doing those things and not trying to rush to the finish line. I mean, he's methodical more than explosive, even though we saw last night and we've seen before that he, he, does have an explosive side to him, but um, I think it was he, he threw that lob to Rudy last night, and I think that's the only time we've seen anyone actually run 
a pigeon roll with Rudy Gobert that ended like that was just a straight pigeon roll into a lob that worked all season. And um, it may be surprising that it was Jalen Noel, but like they've got a plus nine net rating together already. Him and Gobert in twenty one minutes. Um, and that's because of that. Like I was saying, I think it's because Noel is patient in the pick and roll. He waits for the screen. He waits to get around the screen. He waits for. Rudy Gobert to, to dive into space. He does all the things that a great pitch and roll player does. And I, I do think that other parts of this team, Anthony Edwards especially, who we'll come on to talk about, don't have that patience and they play more smash mouth basketball. And I don't know. I just, I, that lob was kind of a light bulb moment for me where it was like, Jalen Noel just does this. Like, I don't think it's something that... He needs two months of practice and two months of games to to work out on the fly. He it's almost ingrained into him just naturally because he's a pick and roll scorer by nature. And normally, great pick and roll scorers are also pretty good pick and roll passers because they've always played with a, a dive beak like Rudy. Yeah, man, it's it's a ton of fun to see the way that he works, and I think um, you know something about Jalen that that always impresses me is just. You know, the difficulty the difficulty of what he's doing and how easy he makes it look and how repli- re- replicable, excuse me, he makes it look um, and how he does it without turning the ball over, too. I mean, he's got one of the best, you know, usage to turnover ratios um, in the entire NBA, re- regardless of, of position or, or role. Um, and and something that, that I really like about Jalen that you kind of hinted at is you know, he doesn't let the surroundings really affect how he goes to work offensively. You know, the the ball could be sticky, there could be no flow, you know, no rhythm in the offense. You're in the middle of an 8-0 run. Um, yeah, I was going to say we saw that you. perfectly last night yeah. when he just comes out and just does his thing, even though everything seems to be crumbling around him. Right, and, and he kind of thrives in this chaos, and he's going to be a guy that I, I think – you know, like like Gobert, um, and it makes sense that those two are kind of on the same wavelength. You know, they're, they're going to be guys that that can be the steady in in choppy waters. Um, and the more that I think you see the Timberwolves get tested with, um, you know, bad quarters or um, you know, opposing teams just making really tough shots. You know, whether it's the Wolves are self-inflicting it or, you know, it's it's just, you know, bad luck and you shake the other team's hand. Like, I think Noel is going to consistently be a guy who, uh, you know, the Timberwolves look to 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 try and provide a spark and, and really, you know, kind of raise the floor uh, of what's going on up there. I think that's the perfect segue into Carl Anthony Towns because you, you mentioned the the steadiness and the level-headedness of Rudy Gobert and Jalen Noel. Um, and I, I, Anthony Edwards is probably in that, that category as well, although his, his game can be a little bit um, erratic, but his mentality is always upbeat and always, I think, next possession kind of guy. And for Cat, you know, we saw it last night, we saw it during the season, all the, all the caveats are there that he's been sick and legitimately sick and anybody who's had a debilitating illness uh knows how hard it is just to get back into the swing of like mundane everyday make yourself a fucking coffee you know tasks let alone professional basketball at the highest level and 
again, he's obviously still adjusting as well to this experiment of having Rudy out there as much as anybody. But I don't know. It's just getting it's getting tiresome to me. Uh, I saw someone on Twitter today say that they they I thought this was a really uh, enlightening point or a, real, a point that really stood out to me that someone said, "I'm sorry, I don't have their um, Twitter handle because I probably should quote them on this." But they said they don't really take any joy from watching him play anymore, even if they know that he's the best player on their team, and that the fear of his antics or that uh. A meltdown is just around the corner is taking the joy out of watching Anthony Towns for them and the same way that Anthony that they that um, Andrew Wiggins did for them you know where it was always kind of like this game where he's going to score six points on eight shots is around the corner instead of um, you know just dominating like we thought he could every night and I'm not at that point I think that's a little far for me but I'm not I, I completely see that perspective because it's just, it, it does suck the joy out of the night, even in a night where there was, wasn't much joy to begin with. But it, it's hard. I, I don't know. I don't know how what you think about it. We have not spoken about this, so this is kind of uh, almost a question without notice. But, like, I don't... Is How much of it does it bother you? Because it, it clearly affects the team. And when Carlton Towns isn't out there, be it through foul trouble or just out, out there mentally as the best Carlton Towns he can be, uh, the the ceiling for this team is significantly lowered on any given night. Um, how do you see that? Yeah, I mean, I, I struggle, I think, because I perfectly understand the concerns that people have about Carl's personality and, and you know, some of the, the quote-unquote antics on the floor and, and some of the, the very... Uh, visual frustrations I'll say um that that we can some sometimes see from Carl on the floor um but also I think people overreact negatively about one game regarding Cat more than any player on the team um and, and to be honest with you like I think it's really frustrating um I I think this this city this franchise this uh, fan base as a whole uh, has taken Carl Anthony Towns for granted. Um, I don't think Chris Finch has. I don't think Tim Connolly has. I don't think any of the the players themselves have. Um, Carl Anthony Towns is one of the most offensively talented and offensively consistent players um, in the NBA in the last 15 years. Um, what this guy does on on a near nightly basis is so consistent in the bar that he sets for himself is so high. Um, and, and, you know, I'd rather have a guy that's getting frustrated because he's not playing well than a guy that just like, you know, doesn't play well and is just incredibly happy. And, you know, you mean, you mean Timberwolves, Andrew Wiggins? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and like, I think Carl really cares and, um, yeah, that's all of that can't be denied. Yeah, and, and and the thing that I've I've told myself so much is like the Timberwolves that we know today would not exist without Carl Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony Towns could have said, you know what, screw you guys, I'm out of here, and I don't think anybody would have blamed him. Like this team for the last you know five six years has done nothing to surround him with sustainable a sustainably talented environment. Like there was obviously a talented environment when Jimmy Butler was around, but 
I, I think that was um, a, a miscalculation uh, with the timeline there. Um, and, and I think that, you know, personalities and how they mix and match together is a huge part of team building in the NBA. And for Tibbs to ignore something like that, I can you blame Carl for that? Like, sure. You know what? Go ahead. Blame Carl for that. I, I sure as hell wouldn't blame Carl for that. But no, but that's no, certainly something that, you know, if you're a GM, you know, making a decision or a lead basketball, you know, decision maker making that that choice, like that's you got to take that into account. And that's why I think Rudy Gobert is such a good locker room fit because he and Kat are on such the same wavelength in terms of um, in terms of who they are as people. Um, you know, I, I've been in the locker room, uh, you know, before and after these these first two games. Um, the two of them are interacting with each other constantly, laughing, having a good time, really making an effort to try to get to know one another, spend time with one another. Um, you know, Carl was asking Rudy about, you know, making plans to go over to Carl's house and watch UFC all day. Um, you know, the two of them really want to make it work and their personalities are kind of similar. Like, obviously, Rudy's, you know, more quiet, but um, but it's a match there. And um, I think people just expect that this is going to work right away. And it's not. I, I think, like, yeah, it's frustrating for them to lose to the Jazz. But, like, you got to think of the context. Like, Everybody just wants to throw context out the window with Cat. And I'm this like I'm not even sitting up here making excuses. It's valid reasoning. Cat missed what, the first 10, 12 days of training camp. Then when he started playing training camp, he couldn't have any contact. So it was all just like one on zero, three on zero, five on zero stuff. Then Cat gets, you know, gets cleared and basically plays without having a full you know, contact practice. He comes out and I think he played over 30 minutes in his first game against the Clippers and, and helped the, the Wolves like get back in position to, to have a huge comeback win. Like, yeah, I get that it's the Clippers, but like, and, and you know, it's a preseason game, but like this dude would do anything for this franchise's team, his teammates. And I think the, the people that just want to get on him and bag him, you know, bag on him constantly. Like I just, it's growing tired for me. Um, like if you don't enjoy watching Carl Anthony Towns play, like I've like, that's your own problem. Um, you know, sorry, but there is a, there is a differentiator there seven years. that, that I think we all, and I'm not, I'm only kind of playing devil, devil's advocate here. Cause I yeah. agree with pretty much everything you said there. Um, the only thing that I think that is worth playing devil's advocate about is that I think we all enjoy watching him play. But it's when he takes himself out of the game. For sure, for sure. That's, that's when it, that's definitely that's when it's frustrating. I think because, and I think it's just maybe even worse, you know, in that Jazz game, or just like it might might it may be worse when that happens throughout the season because there's such a juxtaposition in like the on court temperament of him and Gobert or him and Ant and and there's a lot and it's a lot closer in terms of talent level as well than I think that everyone was. It was easier to swallow, I guess, when Towns would take himself out of a game when he was by far the best player on the team because, you know, it was kind of something that you just had to roll with those punches. Now, maybe it it feels harder to swallow because Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert, I don't think either of them are as good as Carl Anthony Towns, but they're obviously closing in on the same tier as Carl Anthony Towns, and Gobert probably might even be on the same tier as him. So, mate, for me, I think that that might be 
weird. Because last night I was frustrated with him, and, and again, I think it's understandable. I mean, I think when things don't go his way, he obviously has a tendency to let it really affect him, but it's more when he can't control things, and he's normally so good that he can control things. He can at least, you know, find a rhythm again himself. And he did find a little bit of a rhythm at points last night. But I think right now when he's still probably out of game shape and still trying to adjust to the whole experiment, it's just harder for him to to control himself in-game, as in control the game of basketball, because things aren't going his way really in that sense either. Um, and that's all just kind of piling on top of him. And, and there's so much expectation. I think he feels the weight of the franchise's expectations. Anthony Edwards doesn't feel it because he got here and from pretty much the minute he got here, everything's been fairly rosy or rosier than at least... I completely agree with that. Joe Bear doesn't know anything. You know, he doesn't have any of the scars that that come with being a Timberwolves, you know, as someone who's played for the Timberwolves for seven, eight years like Carl has. But Carl has been through all of the shit. He's got all of the criticism. He's lived through the Jimmy Butler era, the Tibbs era. You know, Ryan Saunders was so close with him and then just wasn't a very good coach and got fired. Gerson Rosas, you know, who commits, does things that he shouldn't have done when everyone was so excited about him. They flip dies. Like, Carl has been through the ringer when it comes to Timberwolves law and Timberwolves, you know, history. And I think he feels every single ounce of the weight of expectation on his shoulders. And feels like he needs to be the guy that gets Minnesota to the second round, gets them to the Western Conference Finals, gets them to a championship. And that, I think, can sometimes send him over the edge in in a negative way. And that is more understandable because that's what we all want as well. And that's probably why we're all off the off the ledge in the middle of a game when, when Minnesota aren't playing well because he probably feels it like we feel it. Yeah, and like I feel for Carl too because I feel like whenever the team wins because of him, he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. And whenever the team loses, whether it's his fault or not, I feel like he that the the noise is always louder about him when they lose than when they win. Um, and just like I can understand how that would be frustrating, you know. Um, and and my thing with Carl is like, does he need to have better composure on the floor? A hundred percent. Yes, he does. Um, but I also think that as Carl gets into the season and gets more, you know, season-ready sea legs underneath him, um, I think you'll see Carl, you know, be just fine. We've seen flashes of Carl being really, really good, playing within himself. Um, and, and, one, and the last thing I'll say about Carl, and then I'll shut up, is just I don't think the general public knows – just how much Carl Anthony Towns understands the way that he needs to impact winning for this team. Um, he knows exactly what he needs to do. He's just out there trying to figure out how he's going to do it. And Yeah, I think Towns trying to figure things out on the fly has never been a good Carl Anthony Towns look. He's not one of those guys who can just mold himself into something new overnight. I think Anthony Edwards is actually in that same category. Um yeah. He's he's a guy who takes games to figure it out, and those games might be ugly, but he always does figure it out. And he has molded himself into dozens of different roles already. He's always been Tarnath in his hounds, but like he's played with Doggy, and he's played with Taj, and he's played with Roto, and now he's playing with Rudy. Like it's, It does go under the radar, I think, how often Cat has had to change his game. It's an awesome just point. Just for the, 
for the betterment of the team. And every single time, from you know, I I don't know this is a fact, but I feel like in memory for me, every time there's always been this ugly period to begin with. I'm pretty sure we had this same conversation after the Orlando game last season at the start of the season. Oh, that when one was Cole, brutal. That was that when Cole Anthony hit a game winner? Yeah, I don't know. Well, they There's, lost all Orlando those, twice, I All think. those Orlando losses blend into one just yeah, big dude. pot of shit. But we had this same conversation about Carl Anthony Towns, because, and it was at the start of the season again. It was when he was trying to figure things out, and he was really bad, you know, in a really bad state on court mentally. I don't know. I'm not going to presume he's off court uh, state of mind at any point. But on court, it seemed like he was in a really bad place mentally. And we had this same conversation and say 20, you know, 20 games later, he was the best player on the team by far. He was one of the best drivers in the NBA. He was super efficient. The Timberwolves were winning a ton of games and, you know, it was all roses again. So I think that's worth keeping in mind that there's a precedent here that Carlton Towns does struggle to mold himself into a new role initially. And then when he does, he just fucking dominates. So that that's probably the... Because I am concerned. I bring this up as someone who's probably more concerned about it than you. But I do see that this is a growing process for him as well. And he everyone handles that growing process a little differently. Yeah, I couldn't be less concerned about it. And the thing is, is I would so much rather have Carl be overly aggressive than Carl be too passive. Yeah. And yeah, you know well, we've seen him. We've seen him be too passive, and that loses the Timberwolves games because they need him. I think to you score. will live with your best offensive player being too aggressive. Um, I would not live with my best offensive player being too passive. Um, yeah. and especially when he's uh, historically like super efficient. Exactly. Like if you you know just like all else held constant, like Carl Anthony Towns ISO is an awesome play. He was fourth in the NBA in, in isolation efficiency last year. 1.13 points per possession. Like, that's almost like Steph Curry level good in isolation last season. And he didn't, and it wasn't like he barely did it either. Like, I don't know. I, I'm just, uh, Car, we, I know what Carl is at this point. He is an incredible offensive talent. One of the probably si- seven, eight best offensive players in the NBA. And I, I think he'll be fine. And I think... Once the team starts to figure it out, I think a lot of this frustration that you're seeing is gonna is gonna dissipate. Uh, what's something else that you had in, in mind? You know, coming stemming from these two games, what's something that stood out to you outside of Noel and Cat and and some ant stuff? Yeah, I I think what's been a little concerning is just like the Wolves' offensive play, pace has just been completely contingent upon whether or not they're getting stops, um, and. You know, I asked Rudy about this last night, like, basically the the question that I asked him was, like, do you think that stops are the biggest, you know, driving force behind you guys playing with pace? And he said, you know, it's frustrating because it's just pretty cyclical in the sense that, um, you know, obviously you want to play with pace, but at the same time, like, when you're not playing with pace, then, you know, you have quick quick offensive possessions in the sense where it's like you miss a shot, team gets a rebound, they try and run out, and because you just don't have the same energy level, you're not getting back. They're getting more efficient looks. They're making the ball more, you're taking the ball out of the basket. 
and it's just hard to kind of inject that energy into the offense when you're not getting stops. When you don't have energy on offense, it's harder to get stops. So, um, you know, I, I he just has such a good understanding of, you know, just basketball in general and the ebbs and flows of it. And it's going to be really interesting to kind of get to pick his brain more as the season goes on about all this stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I think they've got to figure that out, though. Like, this team is way too talented offensively for them to have major power outages like they have pretty much for an entire quarter. Um, like, yeah, I, I get it. Like Ant and Jaden or Jalen went off in that third quarter, but they still only scored like 23 points in the quarter. Oh yeah. It wasn't a good quarter. And like this team can't afford that. (laughs) Um, and it's not like it was just the third quarter either. Like it was pretty much the second half of the second quarter. It was, you know, the first little part of the fourth quarter, uh, or the middle part of the fourth quarter, excuse me. And then, pretty much all of overtime. And I think they've just got to pretty quickly here, understand what they're most comfortable running offensively and maybe come up with, you know, a handful of sets that they can go to when they're kind of in a rut and everybody kind of looks at each other, says, okay, we're in a rut. We've got five options. What do we want to do? And and get to one of those five options. And, and Finch is just such a smart tactician and is so good at having that type of stuff ready that, um, you know, that I, I don't think that, that that would be something that that's like out of the ordinary to, to see. Um, and uh, that, that's just something that I'm going to kind of be watching for just because, um, you know, especially while they're figuring their defense out, their offense needs to needs to you know be at that level, uh, you know, much more quickly than I think uh, the Wolves would like it to be. Yeah, it's it's a really good point because it's so obvious that the the body and ball movement just stops when they're in one of those ruts. And I just think that they whether those sets aren't there from Finch and he isn't confident kind of, you know, running them, whether he wants them to just play fast and free, as Jim Pete has been saying on the broadcast a lot, if they just want if he wants them to play fast and free and to figure it out on the fly, or he just trusts that these guys uh, even in isolation or even in, you know, standard pick and rolls or standard post-up plays are good enough to score, you know, 30 points a quarter anyway. I don't know, but I don't think that's that can work with a team that's so new to the other. That worked last season because they, they've never been a team that run a lot of set plays. Chris Finch has really nice set plays in his bag, don't get me wrong, but they're, yeah, they're not they're not a team that runs a lot of them. But I think right now they probably need a little bit more structure. And maybe Chris Finch just doesn't want them to do that in game 60. And the best way to get to do what you want to do in game 60 is to start doing it now. Um, and maybe he doesn't want them to do it in game 87 in the playoffs, you know. So uh, that that would make sense. But right now, there's two, it's too volatile, the offense. Uh, the, the pace is such a, a great point because... I mean, you look at that last, that first quarter last night was just electric, the pace. I yep. mean, D'Lo, every time D'Lo got the ball, whether it, whether it was, even at the start of the game, whether it was make or miss, they were moving the ball quickly and they were moving it up the floor quickly through passes, not just through uh, players dribbling. And they would get into the rim, they would get into the rim and kicking it back out, then get into the rim again and, and just playing drive and kick game almost in transition or semi-transition. Um, and it just looks so good. You've got Rudy running the floor, kind of trailing 
um, as a big lighthouse going through the middle. You've got Cat uh, leaking early to, to shoot almost transition three, spot up, spotting up in before anyone's back, before the defense is set. I think we saw that the second play of the game where D'Lo kicked it long at, out to him and yep. he, he, hit a, he hit a three. Left slide. Like all, of, all of that is exactly what you envision the Timberwolves offense being when it's really at its best. Obviously, you can't play like that every possession and there is half-court possessions, tons of them. But like if you can if you can get 15 points a quarter on transition, or not even transition, but just fast-moving offense that doesn't require any set plays or doesn't have to be against a defense who's been set for 12 seconds of the shot clock, um, then you're going to score a lot because you can can manage in the half-court. Obviously, Rudy Gobert's a great pick-and-roll player, great half-court player. Anthony Towns is still an offensive freak. Anthony Edwards is... Anthony Edwards, you know what I mean? Like, if you get him in isolation five times a quarter, he probably scores three of them. Um, but you can't live on those ISO slow plotting plays because it just doesn't work all the time. Defenses are good at taking away first, second, third options, even against teams with a lot of weapons. And Utah, who are not a good defensive team, pretty quickly settled in to taking away those options, especially right now when those options are not like tried and tested and and experienced options. They're, They're more experimental for this team. So I just think that like you said, it can't always rely on misses. It can't rely on turnovers. It can't rely on Rudy Gobert blocks at the rim. It needs to be play with pace all the time. First option is, you know, I know Dane's been pushing this a lot. Like, first option needs to be an early pick and roll. It needs to be a kick ahead to the three-point line. It needs You need to have that first option occur in the first four or five seconds of the shot clock. Then you can transition into your... Half yeah, that, and that's that, pretty much, that breaks down. and that's pretty much what I was gonna say. Like, I I, I think people can confuse pace with like transition. Um, yeah, and, and to me, they're two separate things. Like, I I think almost like in the half court, you could replace pace with kinetic energy, in the sense where, you know, you just need to get movement, whether it's player movement, ball movement, getting the defense moving, um, as early in the shot clock as you possibly can. And to D'Angelo Russell's credit. Not only has D'Angelo Russell been largely excellent in these first two games, um, he's more specifically he's done an awesome job this year of getting the ball across half court before 20 seconds on the shot clock, and that's something that that Jordan McLaughlin has mastered. You know, he almost there's almost no possessions when he's in the game when that does not happen when he is the one bringing the ball up the floor, um, and D'Lo had, had struggled with it. Um, well, I shouldn't say had struggled with it, but it was just like more inconsistent with it than J Mac was, and that was a huge reason why uh, why J Mac played over D'Lo. Um, you know, in that in that game six game against Memphis is just like they needed that pace back in the offense to try and get get it going, and and I asked D'Lo. Um, about this last night, my question to him was basically like, when the ball's getting sticky, um, you know, there's just not as much screen and roll going on. Um, and, you know, like getting into that early offense, like like you uh, referenced to what Dane had said, like getting that early in the, early in the shot clock has generated some, you know, movement and, and energy from Minnesota. Um, but D'Lo kind of had a different... You know, D'Lo kind of had a different perspective on it, which I, I personally thought was interesting. Um, you know, what D'Lo said was was basically like, I don't think that, you know, when the ball gets sticky, 
pick and roll is something that solves that. He basically said, like, if the ball's sticking, we want to try and get stuff going. Like, I want to take the ball, pass it, and get off of it, and let other people try to get to their, you know, get to their things. Which, which I thought was kind of interesting because, you know, Delo's a guy who's comfortable with having the ball in his hands a lot, but he also understands the value of his off-ball game. Um, and I think he probably saw that a lot when he was in Golden State, um, playing with Steve Kerr, obviously, and being used more as an off-ball player in actions. Um, and he's done that a decent amount too here in Minnesota. But uh, I think that's going to be kind of something that's going to be interesting to to look at. Like if the ball is getting sticky, is is D'Lo just pounding the air out of it, or is he passing it to to Ant, and is Ant pounding the air out of it? Um, you know, kind of, I, I'm, I'm going to be curious to see what his intentions are with, with getting off the ball. Um, yeah. Just, just I thought options. that was an interesting, an interesting answer. Cause it was different from what I thought. And it, it wasn't a bad, like bad answer. Like, you know, I actually think it's a good one. I yeah, think because like, I, you can imagine the pick and roll that, you know, those, those pick and rolls when everything's bogged down, where it's just like set the screen roll, nothing really happens. D'Lo and continue dribbling, and it just kind of and you'd hope takes maybe there's a, you know a corner kick out or something that can yeah. set the defense in a rotation, but um, you know, I, but they I, they need I, to play point five kind of basketball when that stuff is not you know what I mean like if you, like yeah. you can't have Anthony Edwards dribble it for five seconds and then he can't 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 get past his man or, the, or they're loading or up on him off. in the paint yeah. yeah and then and then cat holds it in the post for four seconds and then he kicks it out and then D'Lo dribbles. Like, you can't have that. It needs to be if, the, if you either attack, you pass, you shoot, you know, you, you get into pick and roll, you run an action and you have to do that quickly or else you get it to someone else because there's just so many talented players around on this court. Like, that there's no point someone dribbling the ball for seven seconds or trying to figure out what's going on for seven seconds when... If you just move the ball, drive and kick, try try and beat the the first line of the defense, and then kick it out like that. That is obviously very simple. I'm sure they all know that, and that Chris Finch hammers that into them. But it just feels like that's not happening at the moment. When those when it, and it's just such a stark difference from when they're playing well, like in that first quarter in the in the first half of the of the OKC game. It's you can see that that ball movement and that that energy and that kinetic energy that you said, which is such a great term. Um, that that is there. It's not like this team can't do it. It's that it just seems to ebb and flow for too long a periods. For sure, and I think too, like one other thing that that I want to mention, just as it relates to pick and roll, and, and to kind of add some color to what Delo said is, um, and and I think that I don't want to put words in Delo's mouth, but um, I would guess that Delo views Minnesota's pick and roll as more of a pick and roll to score. And what I mean uh, but by it, it seems like that. And what I mean by that is like when Delo comes off his screen in a pick and roll, he is looking primarily to score because he has so much space because Gobert is is so good at setting up screens and 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 Delo is really good at making sure that he kind of takes his defender into the screen, which is is equally important of a skill as the screening is. Um and, and he has so much space and he makes the right decision as it relates to trying to find Gobert or pulling up for a jumper. And looking to score is basically just, okay, D'Lo looking for his shot or looking to give it to Gobert and have Gobert score. So just one of the two players in the action as a score. Whereas 
you know, a lot of times when Utah was running pick and roll last night or, or screen or handoff or whatever at the top of the key, it was more to get it, get into the paint so that they could kick the ball out and, and get players moving, get the drive and kick game going off of that. And that hasn't necessarily been how the Wolves have used pick and roll so far. Um, and I think it's, it's totally dependent on personnel too. Like last night for, for big stretches, you know, the jazz were playing with Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, uh, Lowry Markin and Kelly Olenek. And then, you know, they'd have either bees in there, Vando, um, you know, uh, Colin Sexton, all, all guys who outside of Vando can, can shoot threes and can shoot threes pretty well. Um, so obviously based on your personnel, your aims are going to be different and, Wolves have two really, really good scores in pick and roll in, uh, in D'Lo and Rudy. And so it makes sense that that's going to be more of a, a scoring pick and roll rather than a, a pick and roll to generate some ball movement, if you will. Um, and so, yeah, like I hadn't really thought about it that way, but um, I mean, kudos to D'Lo. I was just like a, a good answer that, that I think kind of opened my eyes at least to, to kind of like how the Wolves view what their goals are in, in pick and roll. Yeah. I want to see more more four or five pick and rolls. Like, that's my, you know, that that is the thing I want to see when it breaks down. That's just, if Cat is handling the pick and roll and Rudy's screening, that is really hard to guard. We saw one, I don't know if it was in the fourth quarter or in overtime, and Cat kind of skied the pass over Rudy, but, like, Yep, that was that, in the fourth quarter, I think. I would have went I would have went to that straight away again because I trust Cat not to throw a pass over the backboard again. You know, like that's a mistake and that those mistakes happen. He was having a bad night. Um but like they can't when D is in the action, they seem to be giving shots to D just picking their poison more because yeah. they don't wanna they don't wanna leave go bear. And that's good because D is taking advantage of it and I trust D'Lo if they want to give him floaters, layups, and mid-range shots that he can really be impactful. But when you have Towns in there, obviously not as good of a ball handler and doesn't get to his spots quite as well as D'Lo just because it's not what he's done his whole life. But like Cat, they can't choose Gobert. They cannot choose Gobert when Cat when Cat's coming off the screen. They have to choose Cat if they're late on Cat for a second. He's one of the best drivers in the league, one of the best finishers around the rim through contact in the league. And if they choose him and they step up to him, two guys, or they try and split him, now you've finally, finally, because you just haven't seen it, you've finally got Gobert rolling into space and rolling into open space and really starting to become a lob threat or just a pocket pass threat. Um, we and I mean, we saw it again in overtime when just before Gobert missed the free throws. Um, that was a four-five pick and roll, and they blitzed Cat, and he hit he hit Gobert on the roll under the rim. Uh, what a foul by Mike Conley, by the way! Like that, that was a yeah. game. That was a ridiculous Mike Conley in the last minute and a half won them that game, and it was like super. And then super hit the game-winning three too. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but that, yeah, that's what I mean. I just the, the pick your poison from the Cat four-five pick and roll, even compared to the D'Lo or the Ant with Gobert pick and roll, is like. A huge, it's just weird, and this team is big and weird, and I that's like fully leaning into the weirdness, and I want to see like ten of those a game, for sure. And and the thing too with Delo is like he's been super efficient, like fifty eight percent true shooting through two games. Yeah. In, in uh, he's been great. With, I'm I haven't spoke about him enough this podcast because he's been great and probably the Timberwolves' best player, for sure, a hundred percent. Um, I I have no issues with that. Um, uh, I I think there's been some some 
stretches where he's he hasn't been engaged enough defensively. He's died on screens a little too much, but get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Offensively, he's been he's been largely awesome. Off the ball, he's been great defensively. Um, and one other thing too that that you know I, I think makes sense to to hit at here is like with D'Lo, I think that a lot of fans view him as like the guy who is going to bridge everybody's skills together. And I don't necessarily think that that's how D'Lo views himself. Um, and it's not how I view D'Lo either. Like, I think D'Lo is a guy who, like, is is going to be a guy that, that teams are going to, like, choose, like you said, in the pick your poison where everything is just going to be so easy for him this year and he's going to be more of an attacker um, a- after, like, you know, seeing this in person and seeing this live in, in NBA regular season game action, whereas, like, I think Towns is going to have to be that guy to bridge everybody's skills together and that, you know, his gravity unlocks driving lands for Ant. Um, you know, he's really good in the handoff game and can, you know, help get D'Angelo Russell easy looks out of that. Um, again, you look at Horn's actions and the way that he's going to be able to um, to open slipping up for Rudy. Uh, we saw that in the double drag last night where um, – that that was the play that, that Conley fouled Rudy on. That was a Rudy slipped his screen and a double drag there. Um, like Cat's the guy that's going to bring everything out, and and D'Lo's got to be a guy that um, when things open up, that he's got to be aggressive and and get in there and uh, and take advantage of. And he's done that wonderfully so far. Um, like I think D'Lo needs to almost like primarily be a scorer uh, this season, and because, and because Cat is almost primarily. A point guard. Like I've been saying all yeah, for the last bo- few weeks yeah, yeah. that he, he's a he's a big wing. He's not a he's not a big playing as a four. He's a big wing that's bigger than normal big wings, if that makes sense. And what's tough is like I wanted to ask Kat this last night, but there just like wasn't really a moment that like made sense to ask him just based on some of the other questions that were being asked. Um and I didn't get a chance to ask him like off off of uh off the record or anything. Like I'm just interested to see how much the weight is really affecting him on the drive. Like he's mm. just bouncing it off looks guys like a it lot is. more. Yeah, um, yeah. And we'll see. But too, like, I think you'll just see Cat be the guy to stimulate some ball movement more often. Kind of once Cat feels more comfortable driving and you know, throwing it out to D'Lo, and D'Lo's so good on the second side um, after catching the ball. Um, whether it's setting up a defender on the drive, making an extra pass pump faking and shooting um 
It's, it's just like D'Lo, the second side guys, is just going to be like such a fun, such yeah. a fun uh, player. And I'd watch. love to see Jaden as a stre- as a screener on that second side action. Keep Rudy in the dunker spot. Cat can drive and kick a lot and last space, year. Then space out to the corner. I think any play that you can run pick and roll without Gobert, which is kind of counterintuitive for what he is, but any time that you can have run pick and roll and get Gobert just diving from the dunker spot, I think that's awesome as well because. It's just a lot easier to throw a lob to a guy coming side on to the rim from the dunker spot than it is to a guy running directly down the lane. A guy like Gobert who is defended in such a way that everyone knows that when he's diving to the rim, you need to stop the lob threat. So, um, I mean, yeah, I agree completely with what you're saying because I think D'Lo, um, obviously he can be a connector, but... When you consider the usage roles, what everyone needs to do to be successful, Cat's probably just going to have the ball more in situations where he's able to be a connector more often. And he's a very willing passer and a very a guy who really wants to be known as someone who connects. <laughs> like, and he did that it... wonderfully in the first half against Oklahoma City. Oh, I think oh, he was so the good. biggest... No, I, I, I think you could attribute that to him more than anybody else. Um in Oklahoma city. And that's kind of what it looks like when, you know, cat is, is being fully optimized. Like we saw cat, you know, shooting three pointers, uh, from the slot and from the corner. We saw cat cutting from the corner. We saw cat catching it on the block and realizing that SGA was coming with the low side X and throwing a cross court or a cross court, you know, pass to the opposite slot for Tori and Prince to, to make a wide open three. Um, you know, he's just making all the right decisions. And I think for the Wolves, it's going to be like trying to piece together lineups that are going to get you the looks that you want based on who you're playing. Um, and it'll just be kind of interesting to see how the Wolves mess around with that, especially now that Kyle Anderson is out for tomorrow night's game with back spasms. Um, he told me last is night. He, he was, is he already ruled out? He was ruled out this afternoon. Yeah. He said he was fine in the locker room last night, but he was, he was walking pretty gingerly. Um, he seemed more concerned about UCLA, Oregon. Um, after after I asked him who was winning, he, he pretty confidently said UCLA, and uh, did not go well for the Bruins this afternoon in uh, in Oregon. But um, yeah, so that that'll just be something that that I think will follow is like what guys are playing the best offensively and what lineup combinations. Like we obviously there was the ant quote that was taken pretty hard out of context last night. Um, <laughs> Ridiculous. Which was, uh, it seems to be the case with Ant. is like once I, as someone tweeted, it, it was like the second you put any video to anything ant says, like the text just instantly changes and makes so yeah. much more sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, is there anything else that that's kind of on your mind that, that we didn't touch on? Um, well, I, I, I'll let you go in a minute because I know that, you, you know, we're both pretty tired and you've been sick as well and I've been <laughs> sick. So we're just like, just like grinding through this. But I think that the, the defense, I spoke about the defense in the, in the post game podcast last night. So I won't, I won't hang around on it too much, but I just think, I, th- I just think that that the defense right now is the bit that looks the most out of sync as they try and figure out their new identity. I mean, they, they, the turnover percentage is way down, which we've kind of touched on how turnovers help their pace. Um, and that happens when you don't have Jared Vanderbilt and Pat Bev kind of causing havoc. And the opportunity cost for that is that you're going to protect the rim better by having Rudy Gobert and by guarding pick and rolls in drop coverage with Rudy Gobert. And 
you're supposed to stop a more open threes because those guys can stick to them. There's not there's not as many players in pick and roll defense uh, at the actual point of point of attack or at, uh, you know playing in the screening action. So there should be guys sticking to shooters more often. Um, crazy stat which I I thought was I thought was wild. They five, the starting five. So obviously D'Lo, uh, Ant, Jaden, Rudy, and Cat uh, have played. I don't know. I don't actually have the minutes in front of me. Fifty something minutes together, and opponents are shooting twenty five point seven percent from two point range against them. Against so. Against this, when the starting five is on the court, opponents are shooting twenty five point seven percent from inside two point range. So like they're doing the right, they're doing their job when it comes to defending the rim and protecting you know the the painted area and inside the arc. The problem is that they're shooting forty one percent from three teams against that starting five. So half of that defensive concept is working. Rudy Gobert is extremely good at defending the rim, and even when Anthony Edwards or D'Lo or even Jaden McDaniels, who I thought was actually really surprisingly bad on defense last night. Lowry um, clipped him. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, those kind of, those mistakes that those point of attack defenders make can be cleaned up by Rudy because that's what he's been doing for the Jazz for his whole career. What they can't, what he can't do is wallpaper over every crack and that means that they just need to trust him more, I think. Like they need to help less in the paint when when those mistakes happen. You don't need Jaden McDaniels if he's off ball or Anthony Edwards or D'Lo to shade over into the paint to provide help like they did last season because it's not Vando and it's not Cat that are right. defending the rim. They just need that. Obviously, ideally, you get through the screen, you force them into a contested mid range. Rudy doesn't have to do anything, but that's not how it works. That's not how it's ever going to work because no team can do that all the time. But when you start leaving three-point shooters to come and help, rather than just trusting Gobert, if, if teams want to get into a pissing contest with Rudy Gobert at the rim, let them. Or they want. And we you saw know, Poku do that. I mean, holy shit! Exactly. Poku was uh, really trying it on Wednesday. Oh yeah, really wanted to prove that he could defeat Rudy Gobert at the rim, which is just stupid. Um, but let them let them do that. What you can't let them do is have open threes and. That's kind of where I'm at at the moment is that I think half of this defense is working with the starting five at least, which is kind of just like where I've um, focused these numbers into. But the starting five is protecting the rim and when they're forcing mid-range shots, inevitably mid-range shots are inefficient shots. But they are giving up a lot of threes and they are giving up open threes and they are getting killed from three. For sure. And and I think that's what's frustrating too is then you get the long rebound situations and I mean – just just looking at second chance points, um, you know, from the last two games uh, it is pretty insane. Um, so I, I wrote this in, in the recap that I, that I wrote last night. The Timberwolves have given up 35 offensive rebounds for 45 second chance points in their first two games. Granted, granted, I believe that they have more offensive rebounds and more second chance points themselves. Yes, they definitely. I do. I did but, look at that stat as well. They're dominating. They they are dominating the offensive glass. But but it doesn't matter if you're constantly giving up offensive rebounds yourselves. Um, yeah. 
you know, if you and they're just... not and they're not hitting threes like their opponents are. So that's where that that trade off is. If they were hitting the same amount of threes, yeah, and... their starting line, the the Wolves' starting lineup is shooting twenty seven point eight percent from three so far in yeah. thirty four minutes yeah. together, and they have an offensive rating of one hundred four. And it, and if you just wanted to, you know, play the game of like, oh, if you extrapolated that out for an entire season, like, you know, what does that look like? Um, bad. Is the Super bad, dude. Like, are you kidding? But me? that's also that'd, that'd a massive last, reason. That'd be last in the NBA. Just look. That's at also it. a massive reason why we shouldn't. You know, the sky isn't falling because this team will not have a 104 offensive rating for the for the starting five, and they will not shoot 27 percent from three. Like, that no. will go up a lot. Yeah, I mean, if you just want to look at the, you know, the offensive rating of 104.4, that would have been last in the NBA last year. Orlando was 104.7, according to Cleaning the Glass. Um, that I thought, I didn't know anyone would even be that close. Yeah. That's bad from Orlando. Yeah. Very bad. Um, but at the end of the day, like, the Timberwolves, I like, I have no concerns about the Timberwolves figuring it out offensively, because Anthony Edwards, like, love Ant. With all due respect, the guy looks like he does not know that Rudy Gobert plays on his team. And, (laughs) like, and that's just going to take time. Like, you know, Finch tried to make an emphasis of, you know, with Ant of help, like, use Rudy to use Rudy's gravity at the rim to help you pressure the rim. And we're like, they can't throw two and three at you. Because Rudy's there and you can just dump it off to him. But Ant hasn't really gotten the dump off down. They've thrown a lot of balls at Rudy's ankles in the first two games. Um, and it's mostly just been Ant trying to attack the rim and and done so, you know, with some success. Um, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me in terms of what Ant's, you know, shooting stats I mean, he, are i mean at, he was good last night he was good last night and like, he was horrible in the first game so probably somewhere in between yeah i mean let's see ant is 11 of 21 at the rim so 52 percent. that's pretty bad um yeah, that makes but, sense but he'll figure that out like the more that he's able to figure out how to use rudy to his advantage offensively i think is is going to be pretty huge um and something that'll be fun to monitor. And just the one other thing I wanted to add about the defense is like, you're not going to see Rudy Gobert get frustrated with, with these guys defensively, even though, you know, Rudy has been largely fantastic playing to the scheme and some of his teammates around him have not. Um, the Timberwolves played an extremely different style of defense last year. And again, like not a lot of these guys have had a lot of time to practice uh, altogether go with contact the whole nine like you know with the low man thing it was constantly stepping up into the paint right it's the exact opposite in drop where you're staying attached at the corner it's running a, a bunch of guys off the line right whereas in drop most of it is you know trying to make sure that those guys aren't just like getting at you from the paint you know and that a lot of guys aren't trying to break you down off the dribble, get the ball in rotation, and and you know you're not you're not able to just fly around as much. And these guys want to fly around, um, and Rudy knows that, and he you know has told Carl multiple times, stop sinking in so far in the paint. You know you're not the low man. You're um, you're staying attached to the corners. And Jade McDaniel struggled with it too. Um, it's not just Cat. 
Um, you know, there's been no moments too where Torian Prince has struggled with it throughout the preseason. Like, like it is an everybody thing. Uh, it's it's so hard to play the most aggressive form of defense in the NBA and switch to playing a rather conservative one. Um, you know, with with the best player to build it around. Um, yeah. You know, maybe Sans Giannis, but um, it's a weird thing to say that they need to be less aggressive defensively. But that is yeah. what the, the guys who aren't. The only person who needs to be more aggressive is the guy who's guarding the ball handler. Anthony right. Edwards or Jaden McDaniels, or probably not Jaden McDaniels, because if, if he's more aggressive, he might foul out in 14 seconds. But, like, they're the only guy that needs to ramp up their, their like, actual, like, get-into-the-ball intensity, whereas everyone else needs to scale it back to just stay with your man and trust Rudy Gobert, because he will, like, he will lead a top-10 defense even with shit defenders around him. So you just need to be solid. Solid isn't, I know solid is enough is the, the Vanderpool thing, but solid is enough for everyone around Gobert except the point of attack defender. And that will work. And what's crazy is that when the Wolves have been playing the high wall scheme with Gobert off the floor, they're giving up a higher percentage from three, 36%. Yeah. It's 36.5% with Gobert off the floor. It's 35.6% with Gobert on the floor. So for all the issues that the Timberwolves have had, you know, defending the three-point line, like, I think that's more the starting five than anybody. And obviously, like, you want your starters to, you know, be the best at what you're doing. But, um... And, and the then, bench and, has actually been really good defensively. Like, yeah, you know, and, then, and they're giving up. they're giving up probably a higher percentage of threes, but they've been... The numbers overall, I don't know if that's just because they're playing against benches most likely or more mixed lineups but like the bench you look at the net ratings and stuff which is all tarred by like massive small sample size alerts but like the bench every player has been really good in terms of net rating on off numbers you know like J-Mac Kyle Anderson um you know he's he's only played the one game pretty much but like those guys have been with those mixed lineups those Jalen Noel and and J-Mac lineups they've been pretty pretty solid so far except for that run against okc where where j mac and torian prince kind of got yanked real quick so yeah that that third quarter was was ugly after yeah. torian prince sent the world on fire in that second quarter and two like <laughs> yeah and two like so right now the wolves with gobert off the floor have a defensive rating in what is it 29 minutes they have a defensive rating of 123 with gobert off the floor really would have been See, last I... in the league by a mile by, I actually by, thought it would have been better than that. No. I mean, last in the league last year was Houston at 117.8 again for cleaning the glass. Like, Yeah. yeah so it's, and, then, and then a 105 defensive rating when Gobert's on the floor. Yeah. Sheesh. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I think I might have read my numbers backwards <laughs> at some point because I thought the bench was playing really good defense, but they are not. No. no well, I mean, again, it, it just like... Gobert not being on the floor doesn't just mean the bench, though, too. Like, well, yeah. Bench yeah. with Gobert, you know, primarily bench with Gobert lineups have still been very good. Uh, and the other thing, too, that, I mean, the last thing that I'll mention is, like, all these Wolves players are more used to playing small, both mm-hmm. on offense and on defense, right? So this high wall scheme, you know, this more spread out, attack the floor, get the ball in rotation, and it's not Gobert's fault. It's that 
the wolves are trying to make it as easy as they can on Gobert by involving him as much as they can, which I think is a smart strategy. Like if your offensive rating is only 108 with Gobert on the floor right now, I think that's fine because they're trying to, you know, make him understand that like he is going to be involved and he is going to be an important part of what they do. And the more that you use him early, the quicker that, you know, you can get this thing figured out and understand, okay, when are we using Rudy? When are we not using Rudy? How are we going to use Rudy? Um, when is he a focal point of the action? When is he a decoy? How is he getting other people open? How are we helping him get open? Um, all that stuff. And, and you know, I, th I think, like, in the moment, it's tough to just be like, you know, they lost, but they're putting some good things on film um, that might yeah, cause that, a few more losses early on. Um, that's a that hard thing to swallow, but longer. such a necessary yeah. thing to be able to swallow because it's that's what, like, that's that's why this early season schedule was important. It wasn't important because the Timberwolves might start 7-0. and zero which obviously we all want, but it was important because the Timberwolves might start five and two or four and three, figure themselves out and not be zero and seven. Like that is what was important about it, that they can do, they can figure things out while still picking up wins. It might not be a win every game. I still expect them to maybe lose one more. I mean, San Antonio looked really good today against Philly, um, but you know, I think the Spurs will probably beat them one of the three times. Um, I don't know, that, man. That's, Cat kind of owns Jakob Pertl between you and me. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> does that does Zach Collins still play there? Uh, when he's not injured, I think so. Zach Collins versus Cat when Cat uh, scored sixty last season. And that yeah, is him and Pertl. That is the worst defending i've ever seen i've never seen someone get cooked as bad as zach collins got cooked that night i i feel i had the stat somewhere that night but i, I think he guarded him for like eight minutes and gave up like 36 points that's like, incredible <laughs> yeah like Kat, i don't think cat missed a shot the entire time zach collins was on the floor so yeah maybe that's it, a good game for him to to get back into his rhythm for sure and, and like i don't want to make this sound either like I'm just excusing the Wolves losing. Like, they absolutely should not have lost that game last night. Oh, even no, though no way. And I was frustrated as stuff fuck like that. watching it. It's just that I think the Wolves are going to put themselves in more positions to lose earlier on for the sake of trial by fire. Like, fans remember what happened in the Memphis series, right? Finch didn't call as many timeouts as he should have, held on to timeouts too long. Like, do you think that's not going through Chris Finch's mind? He lost his first playoff, home playoff game as head coach after winning, after leading the game by 25 on two different occasions. Like, the guy, the guy knows. Like, he didn't call a timeout last night because he wants these guys to try to figure it out on the floor yeah. together. I thought that was so obvious, especially in that yeah. in that first game when everyone was just panicking about Chris Finch not learning his lesson. I thought it was just so obvious what he was doing. It's almost like a punishment. It's like, I'm not calling a timeout because you guys are playing terribly and you will figure it out against a bad team because that's what we need you to do. Like, it's like, it's almost like a training camp, like a drill, you know, like it's like run, yeah. run a lap if when you, you know, you do something bad, like, like do a suicide. Like, it's, it's like, that is the punishment for playing badly is that you don't get a timeout to be told what to do. You get to... Stay out there if OKC okay, so you don't want to 
25 to 0 run, then we'll have all the film in the world to break down tomorrow. But for and, now, you're going to figure it out on the court because you're talented enough to do so. And that's a huge reason, too, why players love Finch, right? Yeah. Is because he is as empowering of a coach as you could possibly have in the NBA. And he just gets it, you know? He understands how all these players interact with one another, how each player needs to be talked to. Um, and and he does a great job of earning their trust. Um, and it's not by doing things that are irresponsible or, you know, that are just like conducive to losing. Um, it's saying like, hey, like I believe in you guys and I believe that you guys can figure it out, but just like work with me here, you know? And the Wolves worked with him. Like, they, they got back in the game. They they figured it out. They got some momentum entering the fourth quarter. They took a, what was it, a four or five point lead early in the fourth quarter. Um, and, and then, like, he he did use his timeouts over the course of that, you know, that fourth quarter run. So it wasn't like he, this is, like, the whole game plan. It's just for stretches he's trying to do this. And, and, especially, uh, and, and especially against teams like OKC and Utah where – that could go wrong. We saw it go wrong against Utah and they obviously lost. But like in the aggregate, you can still win those games while testing those things out and while kind of letting that team your team play through their mistakes. If this was if that was against Boston or Phoenix, he probably would have called a timeout earlier. And I think and that's not talking about the Memphis series because he admitted that he should have called the timeout. This is talking about right now where he's not calling timeouts because they need to figure it out themselves. But if that if, if that was against Phoenix in a in a week or two, um, I think he calls a timeout probably after they go on an eight zero run rather than sixteen sixteen zero. Yeah, and I and I think that'll be something that'll be interesting to monitor as we move forward in the next, you know, ten days to two weeks. In the sense that, you know, they'll they'll start to play know some better teams and teams that just like have had more games together and you know you'd think would probably be a little bit more cohesive um so it'll be a good test but but i think you'll see finch kind of rein that back a little bit as some of these guys get more familiar with one another and and you'll start to see it you know simulating more we need to win every game kind of as we get deeper into the season as opposed to yeah you know if we lose this game i'm not going to be super pressed about it because it'll be really helpful for us to put stuff on film of if you don't do this this is what happens right yeah because you know we're all you know it's like the same thing with kids like kids aren't going to know any better unless they do it and they see what the consequences are right like it's the same and and it's not just like saying these guys are kids it's it's more it's just like when you're doing something for the first time like you inherently don't know how bad it is until you see what the negative consequences are. And I think the yeah. wolves are starting to see what a lot of these negative consequences are. Um, and it'll be really good. Like a lot of veteran guys who watch film know how to take those, you know, takeaways and, and figure it out on the floor. So I'm excited to see how they, uh, how they respond against Oklahoma city. Yeah. Agreed. Um, well, I, I think I'll let you go now. Anything you want to plug? Obviously, you know, if you don't know by now, I mean, you should know by now, but Jack is obviously the site manager over at Kana Supers. A ton of great stuff going on over there. And a lot of new writers, a lot of great writers, a lot of old writers who have been there for a long time and who are still pumping out great stuff. I'm a regular Kana's reader still and a, obviously an alumni. But 
Um, what's going on? What have you got? I want to know what you've got coming out. Anything, anything big and fancy? No, nothing big and fancy. Um, I don't know how much big and fancy stuff you'll get from, from me in the interim. Um, <laughs> yeah. you're like the old withered detective. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's more just, you know, going to games and, you know, I work 45, 50 hours a week outside of the, the, the 15 to 20 hours I'm doing Canis. So, um, yeah. no, that, you know, it just, all this stuff takes time, um, and and so yeah. I've I've been really focused on on trying to get some new new writers acclimated and and onboarding some folks and and editing a bunch of stuff and and helping people get comfortable. So I think as we get into the season and um, you know some of these games will spread out, there'll there'll be some road games. I, th- I think I'll have bigger stuff when the Wolves are on the road and I'm not going to games as much, uh, obviously. So um, so that'll be important. Lovely. Well, um, yeah, go check out Canis. Obviously, housinggrouse.substack.com for my stuff. Um, consider subscribing. It's helpful for me. Um, pretty close to kind of turning this into at least a part-time job, if not, you know, full-time with, with that kind of money and, and the, the whatever, you know, the, the stuff I get from the podcast and stuff. So, rate the podcast, subscribe, like, listen, you know, all that good stuff, all those buzzwords. But, um, Jack, thanks again, man.